This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi, good evening. Welcome to the Rabbi Ruben Epstein Show. This is the sixth episode of this incredible show, which has been viewed around the world by thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. And thank you so much for tuning in here this evening for a very, very special edition of this show. Now, I've been getting a ton of emails um, regarding tonight's show, but just in general. And if anybody would like to reach out, you could always reach out to me um, at email at marriagepro.co, as well as following all of these classes on touranytime.com, um, as well as by podcast, you can have all of these classes, as well as many more streamed over to you. So tonight's class, tonight's show, tonight's event is going to be a little bit different than usual. So in general, as you know, if you've been following this show, uh, we've been interviewing and having conversation with various influential, smart Jewish leaders, teachers, educators. Um, and tonight's not going to be that much different, although tonight's episode is going to focus on a lot of questions which have been submitted by you, the user. Now, many years ago, when I lived in Eretz I was Zeicha to study with our very special guest here tonight. Now, when I got married, I had in my mind that I'd like to study marriage. I'd like to understand marriage. I'd like to understand something in its entirety. And I did a little homework, a little looking around. And every, all arrows pointed in one direction to our very, very, very special guest tonight, my Rebbe, my mentor, my teacher. I'd like to call him my friend, my chaver, my, my everything, my Rebbe Yitzchak Kalifan, who was a mashkiach in Mir Yushalayim, a close Talmud of Rebbe Nassim Sifinkel. And tonight's event is going to be highlighting a lot of questions which people have been submitting to go over um, various topics, conversations, you say those principles as they pertain to dating and marriage. Now, we have along with us a very special um, friend of mine who I've been to know for many, many years, um, Dove Elephant, who is going to be joining us as tonight's moderator to help us facilitate many of these questions to help bring out the concepts and the principles as we're going to go through them. Now, many of you may know, many of you may not know, but a few years ago, I set out to take a lot of these teachings and to put them in a really comprehensive, digestible, and understandable format that people would be able to, um, to, to get a real understanding of dating and marriage. Now, there are two things that we're probably going to reference a lot of times tonight, and I, I feel like I should throw that out there from the beginning. Um, when I met Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein from... Arnava, um, he started sending a lot of people. And I realized that there's a lot of the same question or topic or concept, which just keeps coming up over and over and over again. And if people can understand the fundamentals behind marriage, then a lot of these issues will just start to disappear. So I created this website called marriagepro.co, not .com, marriagepro.co, because it rhymes and because marriagepro.com was taken. And what we did was we put together a dating curriculum called Date Like a Pro and a marriage curriculum called The Marriage Curriculum. And the idea behind them is it's a comprehensive, very easy, digestible way for somebody to learn all the skills you would need for dating and all the skills that you would need for marriage. Those are for sale on marriagepro.co. Anybody who buys them in the next couple of days, if you use promo code 25OFF, 25OFF, you will get a 25% discount on anything on the site. Of course, you're free to you know, watch all the free concepts and topics that we have here on Torah anytime as well at any time. Now, with that all being said, um, 
Everyone has to remember to sign up to the Torah Anytime Daily Dose at 929-355-4268, which is going to give you a tremendous boost of inspiration right into your heart, right into your neshama every single day. So without further ado, and with our band playing their drum roll somewhere in Shemayim, we would like to introduce Rabbi Yitzhak Alavan and Dove Elephant, um, who are going to help us tonight go through hundreds and hundreds of questions, which have been piling in. Literally every nine seconds, my phone just bloom, bloom, bloom from people all over the planet. Um, I know there's a lot of people who email me from England that they stay up late in England to watch this event live. So cheerio to everybody in England. Um, nice to have you here, as well as people from Eric Dushal, Australia, and all other places all around the world who've been uh, emailing in with your feedback, which is always welcome at email at marriagepro.co, as well as your questions, which I try to get to. And this segment of this show, we are going to try to do um, periodically to try to address some of your questions in a public forum with Rabbi Califon and experts. So this will be a more skill-based show. And with that, Dove Elephant, please take it away. Okay, well... It's great to have such a panel. I mean, this is the, the heavy hitters of Shalom Bias right here. So, I mean, just for myself, it's an opportunity. So here we go. Let's go with the first question, which I think really does hit, hit hits home. It hits home. Here it goes. How do I show appreciation when it's hard for me to show it because I don't really feel it? So now, showing one second, I just want to say something. I just want to say something, Rabbi, Rabbi Califan, yeah. we've never done this together. And, and I've done many, many panels, Baruch Hashem, as you have. Um, but, but in an interesting note, even though I know you for, I don't want to say how many years, but it's well over a decade, um, we've never actually done something like this together. So I run into a dilemma, and I'm going to just be upfront with this, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the reason I have Dovan here, by the way. Um, <laughs> see, I can't agree with you. Because that's us, sir. And I can't disagree with you because that's also us, sir. So, so we're going to have to try to work something out here. Um, but, but we'll go out on limbs, hopefully, to try to bring across hopefully the same point, but um, maybe some various points here to, to have different, um, you say this in concepts that, we'll, that we'll, we'll be able to bring out. So in each question, I think Rabbi Califan should go first just because Rabbi Califan is Rabbi Califan. Um, and then I'll follow up if that's okay with you, though. Yeah, we'll do it like that. Okay, you say. okay. So Rabbi Kate, thank Rabbi Calvin, it's all yours. First of all, let me just recap that. We have to interruption, interruption. Let's recap. The question we're focusing on is showing appreciation even though I don't feel it. What do you say about that? Okay, so before I actually get to that question, Ruben, yeah, I want to say something to you that's a little bit actually connected to the question. Okay. <laughs> First of all, thank you for your nice, you know, long-winded inter- introduction over there. A bunch of years ago, and I don't remember exactly how many it was, I came to America for a visit at that time. And you were already living here. And you called me up and you said, I need to speak with you urgently. I know you're here. I need you for a little bit of time. And we met in a parking lot. I had some some work to do. I had some shopping. You met me in a parking lot. And you pulled out your computer and you pulled out a little memory stick, which to me at that time was that that was Khashiv. And you showed me the initial stages of Marriage Pro. And it was really very nice. And I remember thinking to myself afterwards, something's wrong with him. What, what is he thinking? He's going to go put this online? He's going to... I never in a million years would have dreamed the, the, the hashpah 
that you are able to have successfully with so many people, it's absolutely incredible. And you deserve all the credit in the world for it. Tremendous. I, I, I'll second that. And you've done it beautifully. Baruch Hashem. It happens to be I don't deserve the credit because I was just the Kaylee, but the, the content really came really came from you. And I have to tell you that when I started off, I, I had the idea of putting things online where I could direct people instead of sitting with me because my life was getting very busy at that point. You know, go watch these classes. And if you still need me, then you could come back to me. And I remember when we broke 100,000 views after just yeah. a very yeah. short amount of time. And I was like, wait, something, something's happening here. And I don't want to you know, discuss any more than that, but that was within the first few weeks or months of, of, of launching. So Baruch Hashem, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting journey on, on your back. <laughs> Thanks. So, okay, if you want to answer the question, the, the question that you asked, how do I really show appreciation when I'm not feeling it? I, I'm not so sure that that's the first stage of that question. Because it's really very difficult to show appreciation if you don't feel it. How do you show appreciation for something that you just don't appreciate? You know, it, it kind of reminds me when Bachram asked, how am I supposed to mourn during Tisha B'Av for the Beis HaMikdash if I don't feel that I'm missing anything? I never had a Beis HaMikdash. After Tisha B'Av, I'm not going to miss it. My life's just going to keep going on. So how do I mourn for something that I'm not missing? And similarly, how do I appreciate something that I don't even realize I have? So to take it a step earlier, I think one of the first stages in appreciation is actually recognizing what we have. Sometimes it's not what we thought we needed. Sometimes it's not what we planned on. Sometimes it's not on, it's not in, in the path of what our plan was. But at the end of the day, we have things over there. Uh, you know, Rukhaim um, Shmulevitz always used to say that when Yosef was sold and he had to go down to Mitzrayim, so he could have been sold to anybody, yet he was sold to a bunch of merchants that were carrying really nice spices. And he always says that that was the kiss from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that I know I have to do something over here, I have to send you into Mitzrayim, and it's going to be difficult, but you should know I'm with you. Yosef was able to appreciate that. That means there's a lot of things that we have that we simply don't see. And therefore we think, well, I can't really appreciate my spouse. I can't appreciate my parents. I can't appreciate my siblings, my friends, my schools, my yeshivas, my work, my job, because I don't like this. But sometimes, and I'm saying not all the time, but sometimes if we open our eyes well, we'll see a lot of things around there that really are great and we could really appreciate those things if we let go of what it is we think we want and what we think is really good for us does that make sense to you 100 percent, 100 percent. like a lot of times the focus is on what we what the next level is and my wife and i you know a lot of times we realize when we teach chas and arkala that they 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 get married and things are not as good as they expected so we'll sit down with them. And I believe that it's somewhere between like three to six months that you start to, for those couples that are like in cloud nine, 
that cloud that cloud sometimes turns into rain clouds you know very quickly and they start realizing like whoa okay now now reality reality here is that things are not where i thought they were going to be before and when you settle into your aveda like what my marriage is some people it will just never be good enough because your expectation will always outlie the reality by by just one yard so like your spouse finally gets there and you're like but what about the next but like what about the next and what about the next and there was something that you had once mentioned in this year that if, if you sat down at night and you took out a pen and paper and you wrote, dear Hashem, thank you very much for my spouse because I see in my spouse X or Y or Z, whatever it is. You do that every day. I mean, you're, you're probably, you're probably like, you know, there's very few people who do that every day. But if you do that even once a week, you're married a couple of years, you'll have hundreds, hundreds of miles that your spouse has that you'll be able to see it in them rather than constantly looking for like that next thing that's maybe not going to necessarily be there. And just, just on one more point here, which I think is, is really stay, step two of this, is that usually when you express something, your spouse usually responds positively. Like when you, when you put like a highlight on something that your spouse is doing, then they want to do it more. Like if you're just screaming and yelling at them, they're probably not going to be very inclined to react to what it is. So I think the focus more, the focus creates the change and then the change allows for even more expression and more focus. Correct. That makes sense. Am I making sense? So can I pull back a drop? So I see Rabbi Califan's approach, it seems to me was (laughs) there's no showing appreciation when you don't feel it, but you better start feeling it because there's plenty to appreciate. And Rabbi Epstein, you're saying that, um, yes, uh, let's build on that. Let's, let's so appreciate. You're pointing out that just by appreciating small things, they'll do it more. And if you focus on it, it'll develop further. But we haven't really addressed, is that, is that an accurate representation of what you're saying? 100%. I mean, just on my point, people, people thrive usually when there's positive focus on the things that they're doing rather than the negative focus. And I always say like when people sugarcoat things and they go like, I don't mean to be insulting. How often do you hear that? Like, I don't mean to be insulting. <laughs> like, You're about to insult me. <laughs> like I know I'm, I'm pretty smart. I've been down this route before. I know what's going to happen here. You're going to insult me. Like it's, it's almost very hard to, to, to sugarcoat something. Maybe just today's generation, but it's very hard to like sugarcoat some, something and then pack a punch. But if you, if you focus on something that you are doing, your spouse will do it. Like, you know, if, if a woman yells at her husband for all the little infractions he does, he's going to disappear. But if she like is able to like focus like, oh, I saw you did that. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it. And she highlights it. Then usually he'll be like, I know she appreciates it. I get it. And then she will actually, she'll be able to build on that. You know, I, Ruben, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. For sure, the small things are there. We have to learn to appreciate those things. If we don't see those things, we're not going to build further and People need to feel appreciated in order to want to do more. So when we ask this question starting off, how do I show appreciation if I don't feel it? I'm not really sure I can even like start to address that question because the real way is that's not a question. You have to actually go back and start to find things that you can appreciate on even the smallest level and look around and start to build. I remember many years ago, I came up with a... uh, with a small little muscle. And it's really very true. Imagine, okay, for those who were in Eretz Yisrael, so I'll give it to you on the Israeli standard. Um, imagine 
your wife goes shopping. That's what one, she goes shopping. She buys all the food. She makes a beautiful dinner. She makes supper. She makes lunch. She, everything's wonderful. You don't really say too many thank yous. What's going to happen? I mean, the woman, after a while, is just going to say, he doesn't appreciate this. I might as well stop. Okay. But the men don't understand that. So one day I said, okay, try the following. Imagine you left yeshiva. You left, you're walking home. You're actually walking home. And on the way home, literally not out of the way by, by 20 feet is the supermarket. Mayan, Mayan is right on the corner. And your wife calls you and says, can you do me a favor and please pick up a package of chicken on the way home for your supper? And you say, sure, no problem. And you go and pick up the chicken. You come home. You have not walked out of your way at all. You put the chicken down and your wife turns to you and she says, oh, you got the chicken. Good. And she doesn't say the next two words. Thank you. Because after all, it's for your supper. So why should she say thank you? And anyways, you were walking down the road. And anyways, it wasn't out of your way. So why should she bother appreciating that? Why should she feel any appreciation? But the next time she asks you for something, you're going to think to yourself, you don't even appreciate what I do. Even if the fact is that I, I, I really, really am doing it for it's my chicken, it's my supper, everything's me. That's wonderful. But at the end of the day, person wants to feel that appreciation, even for the small things. Thank you for taking care of that. Thank you for setting this up. Thank you for doing that. And when we recognize that, we start developing Hakar Satayvina. People will ask, why is appreciation so like such a fundamental part of our lives? So the mitzvah of Kibbut Aim, if you look in the Chinuch, the mitzvah of Kibbut Aim is there to teach us Hakar Satayv. Because we have parents, and we have to learn what a karsatayf is to so our parents. We have a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim. And the reason that we have the mitzvah of kibbutz of aim and a karsatayf to our parents is to train us to have a karsatayf to be thankful to Hashem for what he gives to us. It's a training ground. It's simply a training ground to be able to say thank you. And that's the purpose of creation. That's why we're here. Akarsh Baruchu didn't create. Uh, parents, and then look and say, oh, well, now they have children, so I have this great idea, we'll make a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim. The Torah has a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim. Therefore, Hashem creates the world. He looks into the Torah, creates the world. Now, now that there's a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim, we're going to create a world where that, where that can apply, because we have to learn the concept of a karsatayv, of saying thank you to Hashem in order to make this, in order to get there. Same thing goes for marriages. But what I did find very interesting over the years is this concept is absolutely no different when it comes to spouses, friends, children, employees, employers. It's all the same. Every single person needs to feel appreciated and appreciated for who they are. There's so many children, they're running around, so many kids who have grown up today, grew up with tremendous kachis and many areas, but they were never appreciated for those things because maybe they weren't successful in the standard box things. So those kids didn't get that appreciation. They weren't respected for those. That they just weren't good. They couldn't read well. They couldn't write well. They couldn't do math well. They couldn't learn well. They didn't know the Gemara well. So they felt zero. I, they could do a lot of other beautiful things. They were, I know, I know boy, I know boy, a wonderful boy married today, Baruch Hashem, with children, 
growing up, he grew up in a wonderful home. He couldn't sit. He couldn't sit. And the parents, together with their with their rabbanim and their rabbim in the schools, gave this boy tremendous chizuk in doing all kinds of things that were good things, along with his going to school and not being the best. And today, the kid is a kayach. He's a real strength out there today. He's doing a tremendous amount of kaisal because they found the things and they appreciated that. They didn't look for the things that they wanted to appreciate. And when they don't find it, I can't appreciate them. And when we look at our spouses and we say, well, they don't have the things that I wanted exactly the way that I wanted it. Therefore, I can't appreciate them. They were missing the whole point. We have to see what they do have and focus on that. And we start getting to a bit of an appreciation. When the person feels that little bit of appreciation being showered on them, they naturally want to do more, want to feel more. Maybe they'll even grow to get to be the person or close to what you saw, hoped it would be, thought it might be, you know, that, that you pictured as possible. But it doesn't have to be. We have to learn to appreciate what is actually there if we want the whole thing to go forward. Can I just push back a drop, play a little devil's advocate over here? So yeah. are we advocating the purest view? If you don't feel it, don't show it. So we're going to give you a program, feel it. If you have a trouble feeling it, Rabbi Epstein will give you guidelines to write things down every day or every week. And everyone, Rabbi Calvin will tell us how to appreciate it and how to say thank you. Or are we going to say, no, you don't, even if you don't feel it, you know what there is to appreciate. Say it, the feeling will come. I think that, Ruben, if I may? Sure. I think you have to show appreciation even if you don't feel it. Somebody did something for you. You have to say thank you. I, you don't feel it. Okay, you have to say it anyways. But it gets really difficult to do that for a very long time. And for us to be able to say, that's the derech. Just say thank you anyways. If you don't feel it inside, after a while, it's going to get difficult. You're not going to do it anymore. You're not going to even see it anymore. If you're not feeling it, it's because you're not seeing it. And then you're going to say, well, I don't see enough things to actually appreciate. It's very hard for me to find those things. So if we don't start with opening the eyes. So, yeah, that's great. You could say, yeah, say thank you. So show appreciation. But it's not going to take long until the person's going to say, I don't see anything to appreciate. What do you want me to show appreciation for? I don't see anything over here. It's not just a question whether I feel it or not. I don't actually see it. And if they do see it and they start to feel sukumpmir, yeah, Magili, it's coming to me. What, what do you mean? Why should I say thank you? It's all coming to me. Okay, then we got to deal with a whole different question of why do you feel that everything in the world is coming to you? Do you understand? Yeah, am, I, am I clear? Yeah, that? that's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to throw something in here. I, just a, a quick story, which I think I think is 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 so matim for this. I I was once talking to a certain Rav, and he told me that he had a couple that came to him. A woman came to him and told him her story. She said that she every week gets together with her friends and they sit around, they schmooze, they, you know, whatever. I don't know, you know, I don't know what women do. They, 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 I guess they schmooze. I don't know, they're not playing poker. You know, whatever they're doing, they're doing. You know, they're sitting around and they're schmooze. They have their weekly get together, their, their, their gals night, you know, if you will, where they, they sit around and they schmooze. So these, these women get together and they're schmoozing. And there's one woman, this woman, who her husband, he had a major drinking problem. And every couple nights he would, you know, come in, mom is sh- shicker. Now, this is not the place to talk about 
addictions or, you know, we're not going to get in there. We're not going to go down that road right now. But this woman, this was her husband. And every night, every week when they get together, her friends would say to her, your husband's such a bum. Why don't you leave the guy? You know, how you, where's the role model for your children? And they were mamas, you know, ripping on this woman for a few years. After a few years, one night, this woman, she would sit there, she would hear it. Their friends say, you should get divorced. And they were mamas like ripping on her. One night she, she comes in and everyone starts talking. Oh, how's your husband? How's the shaker? What's he drinking this week? You know? And she says, I want, I want to talk. She gets up and she says, I, you know, I want to tell everybody here that my husband, he drinks. When he gets drunk, you should know that he, he lays there on the couch. He sings songs about me. You know, my name is whatever, Shira. Oh, Shira, there's so much to sing about. You know, the guy just sits there. You're great. You're wonderful. You know, you're the greatest person ever. It's like, when I sit there, my husband's totally shaker. He's not functioning. He's not doing, you know, anything. But I feel, I feel good. Like, he gives me something. Like, I have something out of this marriage. He said, how many of you women here, how, how many, how, how much do you feel from your husband? That they're saying, oh, I have so many songs to sing about you. And you're so amazing. And they're just singing your praises. And they slowly quieted down. And she told this Rav, she said, if I would have listened to my friends, I'd be divorced. And now my husband is doing great because I was able to focus. You know, we had Jackie Vitone on a few nights ago. She said, you give partial credit. You're able to focus on the good. You're able to see that you have a lot of good. Not everyone has the greatest parents, but you have parents. There, there's, there's a chiv. We're not going to go into the whole kibbutz of Aim right now, but like kibbutz of Aim is you have parents. They gave you life. There's something to it. The ability to focus on, on and appreciate what you have, you have something. If you have something, if you're here, you have something. If you feel like you're missing something, you may be missing something else. But first focus on the something that you do have, because you do have something. That has to be that recognition. You do have something. After that, you can focus on what you don't have. But very often the gap will be bridged by expressing what you do have. Then what you want to have, it will often lead it in that direction. Yeah, I'm in agreement. So to wrap that one up, as far as appreciation, we're saying, yes, definitely show it, even if you don't feel it, but get working on feeling it. And there's plenty of ways, there's plenty of stuff there. Focus on it, it'll get better. And there's a lot to appreciate. And if you're having trouble with that, get to work. Fair? Fair. We're good. Okay. Next question. I have a great husband does not do anything personal for me, like buying chocolates or gifts. Otherwise, he's great. Should I lower my expectations that I'm not going to get any of those little appreciations that I need and let him off the hook of those, those needs that I have? Or, hey, this is not fair, and he's got to step up his game. How should I deal with that? Can I ask you a question, Dov? Go ahead. I'm just curious... How do you plan, or how does somebody plan on a, on achieving B to make him do that? What 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 does that mean? That's a great question. What is the other option? <laughs> but we, I have to just say something. I think everyone has to recognize we didn't we didn't make up these questions. These are real questions from real people. Um, some of them were Megillas, like Mamish, like like Megillas. You know, people wrote their name on them. You know, they were really, really long questions. <laughs> but these are these are the ones that were not super personal. 
and that we were able to to get to to try to bring out ideas. But this was this actually was somebody's question. I think it's a very good question because a lot of people feel like they're they're missing something and they want that something. How do they get that something? I guess that's the question. How do I get that something? I can't force you can't force right. your husband. So, so 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 let's start with that, Ruben. Let's start. Is it possible? before we go to the how we get that something? There's two ways to approach this: how we get it, and living with the reality that you may not get it. I mean, you I can choose each one, uh, choose that's choose true. a side. Well, that's true, but maybe one becomes more more of a choice when one is not when the other one's not really a choice. So if if we sit and figure out, is it really an option to be able to get that from somebody? So let, let's change the case. Let's talk about money. Somebody owes you money. I don't know. Somebody owes you $25,000, $50,000. And he simply doesn't have the money. No matter what you do, he doesn't have the money. He does not have the money. And you go to him and you tell him, I need the money. He says, what do you want me money? I'm homeless. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. I don't have a bank account. I don't own clothing. I barely own shoes. I work every day. Whatever few dollars I get buys food. I, I don't have the money. What do you want me to do? So what do you say? You say, you know what? I've lost the money. Maybe one day I'll get it. But right now, I will one second. But I needed that money. That money was my down payment. That money was, was going to pay off my credit cards. That money was my tuitions. That money was, was my new car. That money, I needed that money. Now what do I do? You know what? I don't know what you do. But you don't have the money. So maybe your focus changes, okay, how do I accomplish what I needed to accomplish now without having that money? All I'm pointing out with this muscle is that not necessarily can we approach people and make them give to us or do for us what it is that we want. Sometimes we can communicate a need to somebody who may not understand it. That's a very good possibility. So with that, having said that, we can go back now to the first part of the question, to the first answer. How, what, so the question was, what am I supposed to do over here? Am I supposed to just, you know, accept it, that this is the way it is, or am I supposed to go and fight for it? So I don't think that fighting for it is going to be your answer. Somehow, somehow, I just don't believe that that's going to generally work. As men, I think we can all pretty much admit that the more we're forced to do something, the farther we're going to run away from it. Anybody there argue with me? No. <laughs> okay, there we go. And if you force a woman to do something, she'll do it out of fear. But the minute the fear factor is gone, she's not going to do it anymore. So she's not really giving him what it is that he wants. So I don't, especially these things are talking about emotional things. Like how do you force somebody to give you something emotional? So, the, the, the forcing is just, I don't see how that's really going to ever work. Let's go back. Do I accept it the way it is? That's a very um, case-specific question, meaning there are certain people that we have to be realistic. Maybe they just cannot or have a tremendous difficulty doing certain things that we might feel. So um, we use simple examples. Um, maybe I, I, or you would feel really good if, um, somebody bought us a gift, like that would really make us feel nice. Somebody bought us a gift. 
and nobody's buying us a gift. So, but maybe the person who, instead of buying a gift, they have their way of showing it. And their way of showing it is, um, I don't know, they write you a card. Maybe we have to start to realize that it's not that they're saying, I don't appreciate you. I don't love you. I don't care about you. They're saying, I do. I just, I really have a real difficult time speaking your language. I'm trying to convey it in my language. Please try and accept what it is that, I, that I'm conveying. And there is a certain part over there that says we have to really accept that. On the other hand, as people, we all have our own ways of feeling things. And we really want to feel it. And the spouses should be trying to accommodate those feelings. We should be trying to learn somebody else's language, somebody else's ways of communication, somebody else's ways of feelings. And just because it's difficult for us doesn't mean that it's an excuse not to do it. Usually those are the things that I can tell you, uh, not 100%, but on a very large majority of the marriages, the things that the other spouse needs are the things that are difficult for that one to give. There's no question about it. We get married and we think, yeah, nah, giving's no problem. And then all of a sudden the spouse needs the things that are most difficult for us. Because Baruch gave us a spouse. We, we have to work now. We have to work. So to go ahead and say, just accept it the way it is, I don't know how fair that is because a person really does need it a little bit on their own, the way they need it. But on the other hand, they also have to be realistic as to what is it the other person is capable of giving. But if we think that we're going to go in there and fight for this, and yeah, I'm going to get it, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's just, well, we're just going to run the other way. As a husband, no, write me cards, buy me gifts, buy me flowers. Okay. You know, I, I once had a fellow who would not buy flowers. He would, no matter what we said, he would not buy flowers. One day I sat with him. I said, listen, I don't understand you. It's a question of money. Just goodbye. So he said, fine, fine, rabbi, fine. I'm going to go buy the flowers. And he went and he bought the flowers and he came into the house and he threw them at his wife. And he said, here's your flowers. The wife called me crying. Just, my husband bought me flowers. This is why you're crying. He threw them at me. You can't force a guy to buy his wife flowers. But on the other hand, he has to learn that that's what his wife needs. But if she sees that he's not doing it, but instead he helps her around the house a lot because he feels that that's a wonderful way to to be expressing it and to show her and Twitter. She also has to realize that he's trying with that to at least communicate that, that part forward. Moving. So, yes, I, I want to, I want to jump in on a couple of points here. So first of all, I think that um, people will notice that many, many, many of these questions start off with my husband right? or, or my wife and not, I'm sorry, very rarely they say my wife, but like my husband or I'm married to a guy. Um, it, it, not so many of them are like, you know, I have a question about my wife because I think overwhelmingly, and I, I once read a national statistic um, that about 85% of the time, women are the ones that, you know, ask the marriage questions. Right? They're like, within this, I hop this and I have a question. And the guy's like trying to figure out like what he's doing in the marriage counselor's like house. He's like, what are we doing here? Like we're picking out wallpaper. Like, you know, like I don't even understand what's going on. So <laughs> I just want to point that out. I think that's just very funny. Um, but to this question, I think that there, there was one here that was said that I think is really important. That is, there's definitely a difference between those who can't and those who, for whatever reason, won't. And there's a, there's a huge differentiation between those two people. Some people just simply don't have Wi-Fi. Like, they just 
don't have connectivity. There's just nothing. They're just not there. It's just not, it's not within their genes. And even if you like walk them through it, we once had a couple in a house um, where my wife was basically coaching the woman how, like just how to, to say certain things. She couldn't do it. It's like, we are speaking English here. She could not bring herself to say things that would just be otherwise basic to most people. And that's oftentimes what it is. Somebody just simply can't. And in those cases, there has to be much more acceptance and the realization that there's probably going to be a much longer pathway to get to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. It's where they won't, for whatever reason, where there has to be a question as to why won't they do this if they're able to. And sometimes the answer is cluelessness. That very often is the, is, is the answer. Like they're just clueless. They just have to be educated, which most guys get married. And nine minutes later, they're like, I'm married. You're married. We're both married. So I, you know, everyone's an expert now. So, you know, so that becomes just the reality. They just don't realize that there's something there. And sometimes in that case, you just have to channel and bring it into your marriage. Like, oh, it's our anniversary in two days. Like, I can't wait to exchange cards with you. <laughs> you, know, and then, you know, like you, know, you start like bringing it in and like setting, setting the tone for what's going to be there. Like I, I like to call it like planting a seed, you know, like men are pretty good with that. Like if you plant the seed and sort of guide them in that direction, they'll usually like follow through with actually signing the card, you know, or, or filling it out a little bit. Like they like, they get the idea like, oh, okay. You know, like, oh, our anniversary is next week. You know, like uh, where should we plan to go out? Let's have that conversation. Oh, oh, I got to take off that night. Oh, it's, it's an important night for you. They'll, they'll get there usually if they're, if they're in that clueless stage, they'll usually get there. It's if they're somewhere in between and they're resentful and they're not really interested for whatever reason, sometimes the answer is because there's something that lies with you. And you were giving an example of the guy who doesn't want to buy flowers for his wife. That guy sounds like he's missing Wi-Fi. He's just not, he just not, he doesn't want to. He does, but sometimes the guy bought flowers and it was thrown back at him. And now he's like, yeah, you're never going to see flowers from this guy because you threw it back at me. So if a guy can't, he can't. Or if a woman can't, she can't. And sometimes it's within won't. And there may be varying degrees as to why they won't do it. Sometimes it's cluelessness and sometimes it's resentfulness and sometimes it's, you know, somewhere in between. And you have to be able to differentiate that. Obviously our goal here is not to, you know, answer this woman. I don't know who this woman is, but you know, the goal here is like the principle, there has to be like, why won't my spouse do that for me? And if they're good, well-intentioned people, then, you know, very often. Now I, I want to add one, one more nuclear, which I think is just very important. I've noticed that, um, there are certain homes which are really, really nice homes. I'm talking about like the houses itself. And, but you know, in the basement, there's cockroaches, there's leaks, the pipes are leaking, you know, there's drafts, but the windows, it's not, it's not, there's something, it, it's, it's not functional. And there are certain homes that they're run down, they're simple, but like everything, it works very, very well. Within marriages, I think that there's to a degree, very similar things. Some marriages are very, very, very functional. The children, they, you know, they're dressed very well and they get up to go to sleep at a certain time. Like it's very, everything very, very functional, but it's sort of like the, the, the connectivity between the, the couple is, is very, it's not, I don't want to use the wrong word here on, on air, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not, it's not lovey dovey. It's not, it's, it's, it's like colder, but it's very, very functional. Sometimes it's the opposite. The family's like just not very functional. Like everyone's running late and it's like topsy turvy, but at the same time, there's like a very, very strong gel between the two and we hear this person when you read the question they said i have a great husband meaning they see so much goodness there within their spouse so like i think it goes back goes back to the first thing like so appreciate what you do have 
appreciate what you do have. Like how often, Calvin, how often do you see somebody where like, you know, they're sitting there and, and they keep correcting their spouse for something. They go, Don't say this. Be careful when you do this, you know, or like they're fixing his tie, like as he's in the middle of giving a speech and like, no, no, no. Like, okay, sit down. Like, appreciate what you have. Like, look what you have. Your husband, he's speaking, you know, like it, a lot of people, like I said, it's always like, it's always the step, the next step that they're looking to do. And it's like, just appreciate what he has. If you give your, your husband two thumbs up after he speaks, you'll have a rock star husband. If you don't, you're going to have a schmata on your hands in 10, 20, 30 years from now. So appreciating what you do have, I think very much leads into this idea as well. Ruben, if I can just pick up on something you said. Sure. You know, two, two small things. When you say about appreciating, it's, it's literally the truth all the way through. Because if you have somebody who, if you have a man who really enjoys giving his wife gifts, that's, that's, maybe that's how he was brought up. His parents did gifts, bought him gifts, and that's how they express their feelings, gifts, gifts. And to him, gifts is like the most important thing. Birthday gifts are really important. And maybe she didn't grow up like that. And she really, really feels that, you know, I would really appreciate if my husband would just help me with the dishes. If he would just help me clean up if he would just help me pick up the toys from the floor, like that would, that would really make me feel good. And he buys her gifts and buys her gifts. And she walks around saying, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't care for me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't do anything for me. And she takes the gifts and she throws them back at him. And she throws them back constantly. It's not going to take long till he says, I don't want to give her anything. Because it was so difficult for me to come up with the money to buy her those gifts. And yet at the same time, she doesn't appreciate any of it. So why should I try to do anything else for her? She's not appreciative. He doesn't think to himself, she doesn't appreciate this. So what else might she appreciate? He just feels that his wife is not appreciative. And he's never going to get to the point of hearing from her that I really do appreciate what you give to me. It would just mean more to me if it was this. So she can start off with that stage of actually showing that appreciation, things would change. I, I once had a couple, um, they lived in Europe. And I, I'm really not exaggerating in the things that I'm saying now. Um, I, met with the, I met with the father, the husband. I met with him in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, we're talking about um, a man probably in his mid-40s. And he sat down and he started just telling me all about his wife, she's so miserable and she's so sad and she hates him and they're fighting all day and all night. And he does this, I don't even know. He said, I I'll tell you, something doesn't make sense. We're making a chasana soon. And I took her to buy jewelry. We flew to another city in Europe, first class, not business, first. And we spent tens of thousands of dollars on one piece of jewelry. And she loved it. And yet we came home and she was still not happy. We then flew business to America. We spent two days there looking for jewelry. We spent another $47,000 on one piece. And we came home and she's still miserable. My wife does not appreciate anything. What should I do? So I asked him the following question. What were you doing on the flights in Europe? and to America. So what do you mean? Work, phone, computer, you know, I'm busy. Did you talk to your wife? Not much. No, she went to sleep. I was working. 
And when you were in America and when you were there shopping, did you? She said, no, we went looking, you know, we, we went looking. Your wife doesn't want the jewelry. Your wife wants your attention. Your wife wants your feelings. Your wife wants you. But the woman didn't understand that if she doesn't show him appreciation for what he tried to do, she's not going to get the other part out of him either. So it's true that both over here were missing the boat. But until someone sits both of them down and says, look, lady, you're missing it. You got to appreciate what he is trying to do. And you, mister, you really have to realize that just because you appreciate something doesn't mean that that's hers. And we're talking about fortunes of money. And it just doesn't matter. <laughs> all, the, all, all the money, all the flowers, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't speak, it's not going to be there. But at the same time, they've got to actually appreciate that in order for the man to be able to move to the next step. There's one way. I want to just jump in here on one, on one point because it's interesting to me that there's, it's 45 minutes into this and, and we still didn't mention probably the word that I thought would come up the most. So I, I want to talk about that now. Um, I, I think in my, in my experience that a lot of people, usually men, but I don't want to stereotype here, so usually just people who are married, who are men, <laughs> they, 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 they give a lot, but they, they don't hit the nail on the head. Meaning if you said to the average person whose spouse is complaining, why is your spouse complaining? They'll say, yeah, I don't know. What are they complaining about, right? Do I not work 12 hours a day for them? Do I not put a roof over the head? Do I not pay the electricity bill? Do I not, you know, like, do I not pay tuition? Like, what, what do they want from me? And a lot of times it'll go even further. I, I have to learn with my children and I have to take my kids out, you know, bike riding and fishing. And they go through all the things that they do for their spouse, in a very general sense, but you're not hitting the nail on the head until you understand that marriage is kesher, davak, connecting to what your spouse truly needs from you. And sometimes there's a lot of people who are working so hard on their marriage without really accomplishing anything because it's like standing with a hammer you know, in the middle of the street and just banging on the cement. You can work as hard as you want. You're not accomplishing anything because you don't understand what you're doing. You're not, you're not connecting anything to anything. I remember as a kid when I was building my sukkah, we had a wooden old sukkah, like this old wooden sukkah weighed like 500 pounds, you know, like those panels and you have to like screw it together with these old rusty screws. I remember as a kid watching my father banging this into that. And I remember I took a hammer. I took a whole bunch of nails and I was just smashing through the panels and at the end, I went around to the other side and it was like a whole bunch of, well, you know, like when kids think they're like building, you know, like the base on Mikdash. It was like a thousand nails just right through the panels, just sticking right into the sukkah. And my mother's like, no, you're going to take this out before sukkah, you know, somebody's going to kill himself. Fine. So I spent all day taking it out. And I, to me, I was very heartbroken. I work so hard. You know, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> because you work very hard in a general sense. A lot of spouses don't need, they don't, they don't. They don't take it as you're giving me. They take it as you're giving the family. You're giving us. You're giving you. You're working for me. So a lot of men say, yeah, I am working for you. And to a degree, it's very, very true. And I think that's where the appreciation comes in. You have to appreciate that. And if, if the person is able to understand that they have to give much more specifically, then your marriage will probably grow. But the reason why I think a lot of marriages don't grow is because the person who's giving is giving in a very general sense not hopping that if you were really connected to your spouse, you would hop that they're sitting on the couch 
in a bad mood and you came home because you just came home from 12 hours of work and you took a nap because you're taking care of everyone and then you take your kid out for a bike ride, but you're not, you're not zoned into that. I, I, Ruben, I, I definitely agree with you. I'm going to use this word. It's a word I use all day and all night. It's called needs, simple needs. And in the marriage, the, from the very, very first step, it's about what recognizing the needs of the other person are in order to be able to give. If we're giving what we like to give, as you said it, we're really taking. I simply found somebody to give this to. I like to do this. I like to give this. So this is what I'm going to give you. Oh, wait a second. That might not be what you need. It doesn't really concern me what you need. This is what I like to give. So I'm going to continue doing this. So if a guy knocks on your door and, and he's nebuch, he's starving. He's push it, starving. He needs food. And you say, wow, you're so hungry. You're such a poor man. You're starving. Oy vey. Here's a coat. What, what, what's he going to do with the coat? What's he going to do with the coat? The coat, the coat? He can't eat the coat. Recognizing the other person's need is the very first step. And part of the problem, not totally, but part of the problem, it's easy for us to give the things that we like to give. We just assume that that's what everybody else wants. And when we feel a certain need, we automatically assume that, you know, that's what everybody wants. I like this. So what do you mean you don't like this? So if I like chocolate ice cream, it doesn't make any sense to me that you don't like chocolate ice cream. So when I have to go buy ice cream for you, I'm for sure going to buy chocolate ice cream because I love chocolate ice cream. But wouldn't it be better if I asked you if you even want ice cream? And if you do what flavor you want and how you would like it, instead of me just deciding, no, no, but I love chocolate ice cream. So it's not you talking. <laughs> you're not going to like chocolate. Of course you're going to like chocolate. Everybody likes chocolate. I love chocolate. How could it be you don't like chocolate? How could it be you don't like what I like? How could it be you don't need what I need? I need X amount... There's a, there's a huge difference between men and women. Um, you know, it, the, the physical affects us differently as well. So on a general level, uh, little boys, I always say the, the only difference between a five-year-old boy and a 25-year-old boy is 20 years and the price of his toys. And the difference between a five-year-old woman, a five-year-old girl and a 25-year-old girl is 20 years of makeup. Because at the end of the day, we're the same kids with the same needs. You take a look at a five-year-old five little boy. I remember when, my, when my, my, my oldest child went into Kita Gan. And we went to, you know, the, 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 the orientation, they call it here, right? And we sat down, and the Rebbe got up to speak. And the Rebbe said something. This is going back 20 years. He said, you know, one of the greatest things you could do for your son and for your own home is when he comes home from Ghan at 1.30, have his lunch waiting for him on the table. Because this little boy got up in the morning. I promise you he didn't eat a proper breakfast. He came running to Ghan, did not eat his snack properly, played hard, worked hard, did his olive bays, ran around. And at 1.30, this kid is starving. And when he comes home, he's not going to be a mensch or hear anything until he eats that food. And what happens when that little five-year-old kid grows up to be 25? He's the same guy. He walks in from yeshiva. He walks in from Seder. He walks in from Kyle. He walks in from work. He walks in from working out. He walks in from wherever he was. And he's starving. And what does he want? Don't talk to me. 
Don't say a word. I don't want to hear how your day was. Put the food down. Let me eat it. Give me five minutes, and then we'll, I'll give you anything you want after. Just the food. Five years old, 25 years old, the needs are the same. Most, again, this is not a total, but it's, it's a general rule. Most women don't react the same way to food. They didn't eat as much. They're not going to get as grouchy. Men, we're creatures of that habit. We don't get the food, we get grouchy. Women, okay. They, they have other things that will get them into that mood. Things that might not bother us. And naturally, each one assumes that, well, what do you mean? If I need food, you obviously need food. So I'm going to make sure you have food. Whereas the woman is thinking, I don't really want the food. I just want to talk. And the woman is thinking when the husband comes home, well, I mean, I'm sure he's probably hungry, but we haven't seen each other all day. So for sure, he just wants to talk now. Just like I want, I mean, how could he not need to talk the way I do? And to go tell her, no, no, serve him food and don't say anything. She's like, well, what do you mean? That's so difficult. He probably wants to know. He does not want to talk. <laughs> How could that be? I told, I told Hassanim, I told to marry guys, if your wife is laying on the couch and she's saying she has a headache and your answer is take two Tylenol, you have a real problem. Because if you married somebody who doesn't know to take two Tylenol on their own, <laughs> then I don't know what's going to be with the rest of your married life. And if, and if you think that that's really what she's telling you when she says she has a headache, you're not hopping her need. We once had a guy, he was uh, Shanri Shaina. Everything was wonderful. A little while after Shanri Shaina, he started coming every day, 45 minutes late to Shiva, an hour late, an hour and a quarter, couldn't figure out what was going on. So his Rosh Chabura spoke to him and he said, Rebbe, I, I don't know what to do. Every morning, my wife wakes up not feeling well and I spend time with her. So I end up coming late. So he came to speak to me and I asked him, tell me, during Shana Rishayna, you were learning at home? Yeah. Were you going out to night Seder? No, I had a short night Seder at home. I spent time with my wife. He said, and since then, since Shana Rishayna finished, yeah, I started going out to night Seder. Uh-huh. And do you spend as much time in the evening with her? No, no, not at all. And when did this not feeling well in the morning start? I said, actually, about that same time. I said, your wife has a legitimate need. She has the need. You're not giving it. It's going to come out somewhere. It's natural. If you're not going to give it to her by night, but, but you don't feel you need the time, she needs the time. Those are real things. She needs that time. He needs his things. She needs hers. These things have to happen. But if we don't chap Yenem's need, and the way we chap it is to recognize that, one second, one second, one second, I have needs. The first thing is we have to know, I have a need. My needs are this. Now that I know that there's something called needs, I could look at her needs. What are her needs? Are they the same as mine? Are they different? What is it that she needs? So therefore I can give that. But if I don't recognize the concept of the need in the first place, we're not going anywhere. It's just we're just we're stuck at ground zero. Hey, can we take this and wrap up this question? Yeah, let's tie it up. I want to wrap yeah. it up. I'm going to wrap it up. We segued from um, the appreciating. The, uh, appreciating. We moved toward appreciating and knowing the needs. It will take um, knowing the needs, understanding the needs. Um, that will help you uh, get to the next level and 
maybe even get what you need. Let's, we have a large audience over here that had some dating questions too, and there's no reason why we should ignore them. So we had a great question that came up. I think it has a couple parts to it, and perhaps we can get the expert opinion. Um, there are many girls who are dating or trying to date, waiting for dates, waiting a long time, many months sometimes, or more without dates. And their question is, A, how do we look at that? How should they look at it without despairing, feeling down? How do they get through a period of time when they go so long without any dates or with, with dates that don't pan out? It's depressing. It puts one down. And the B of this is, how do you, what should they do with this time at, in order to get the right date, get the right shidduch, and build themselves up for their eventual marriage position? So before I make Calvin answers, I just want to jump in here with, with, um, with two things, which I think are very important, if I may, if I may. Um, the first thing is that I think this question is one of the hardest questions because at the end of the day, it, it, you know, Klai Yisrael has many things that, you know, can be worked on. Baruch Hashem, we have an amazing, there's nothing, there's so much good. But but of the, the issues, the topics that come up, which are challenging, this is one of them. I mean, there's no question that, you know, I once gave a, a dating seminar in a community of girls. And I said, does anybody have any questions? And, and they all said, yeah. And like everyone, every hand was up. And I said, okay, you know, I picked on a girl and she says, how do we get a date? And I was like taken for a loop. And I said, okay, we'll get to that. But like any other questions on any of the content that we just discussed, and every, every girl goes, no, that's our only question. We have such a hard time getting dates. So the, the idea of, of this, is, this is a very, very real hard question in my mind because it's a reality for so many people. And I know there were a lot of initiatives that were started. Recently, we started Arnava, an Arnava initiative where we started a website called arnavashadchen at gmail.com. And the idea is to have a collaborative group of Shadchanim who will be looking through, sorting through emails. Um, and then through a network of Shadchanim and people can sign up to become Shadchanim to tackle and try to help girls, you know, find Shadchanim. But, and if anybody wants to sign up to that, it's arnavashadchan at gmail.com. When we did this, we figured, you know, okay, we'll get a few resumes. We'll start slow they came flooding in so fast that we're still catching, we're catching up to ourselves. So if we didn't get back to you, just please be patient. If you have a resume, of course, please send it to arnavashadchan at gmail.com. And if you want to become a shadchan, please, you know, sign up with that as well. Um, arnavashadchan at gmail.com. Um, there's so many answers to this. And I know we're going to talk about Amuna and Tefillah and all of that, but I want to talk about two things, Rabbi Calvin, if I could, just before, before, before you share with us your wisdom. One is that, a lot of people are, they, they, there's a despair. There's almost like a despair. Like it's been six months since I had my date. It's been so long since I had something that was meaningful. And I always say that awesome finds awesome. And people who are in their dump, who are down in the dumps, they're, they're, they're down in the dumps. Utilizing the time that you have at every single stage of your life and recognizing that where you are is exactly where Hashem wants you to be. He said, Bas plainly, plainly, at a certain date, at a certain time, Bishatavim Mutzlachas, 
But instead of getting down by this challenge, which is a very real challenge, you utilize your time to become a bigger, better, smarter, more educated, talented version of yourself. You will likely become a magnet for a bigger, better, smarter, more talented guy. And the, the bigger, better you are, if you utilize that time with happiness and you really utilize it, I think that it will, it, it helps, you know, it helps people out. But there's another topic here, which is, I'm keep going back and my forth and back and forth in my brain if it's if it's Kadai to talk about it, but I'd like to um, because I think that it's very very important. Um, I sit with a lot of girls, whether it's through Arnava or wherever you know the world. Um, there are certain people who have lists, and and I don't want to stereotype at all, but there are certain people who have such a narrow concept of who they're going to marry, when they're going to marry. They have their whole life figured out without recognizing that you may have narrowed yourself down to a place where it's just never going to happen. So many people I talk to, there's like, almost like, like they're, they're lacking almost an, an obviously struggle to recognize that like they didn't have to come from your village, from the, your ancestors country. You know, like we all come from Canaan after that, you know, we went our different ways, but so many people I talk to, they go, but when my great, great grandparents, you know, came from, this country or this no one cares anymore <laughs> no one cares of course there are cultural differences of course there are you know family differences of course there are different men hug him but if you think about it if you if you broaden your horizon sometimes there are some girls who i talk to them they come from certain families or backgrounds whatever it is and i say to them like you're getting no shit of resume no that we are but because the guy is not exactly whatever you know his great-great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather didn't live, you know, right next to each other in a certain country. So therefore, everything is off the table. Rabbi, Rabbi Kaplan, I mean, tell me, like, I'm like, what? You're joking. You can't, you can't expand out past yourself. Like, it has to be mamish, like, you know, you know, you got to leave your house. You got to break out of where you come from a little bit to, like, experience the world. There's such amazing people all across the Jewish spectrum. And having such a narrow field of potential shidduchim because you've narrowed that down, I think it's just a, it, it's, it's a crime against yourself. And I wasn't sure if I would say something about this, but I, I've been dealing with so, mo- so much. And a lot of times that heartbreak is just there because they've created that heartbreak. It's not there because of anybody else. And of course, at the same time, there's an Eberster and, you know, he runs the world. But I feel like it's an important piece that needs to be, you know, sort of addressed and thrown out there. Okay. I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I want to pick up on it and I want to mirror just a few things. But before I even start with that, I'm going to say in answer to the question, the way Dove asked it, I'm going to say three words. I don't know. Meaning the suffering, the pain, the tsar that a girl or for that matter, a boy has by being alone, even Bachram, it is worse for the girls that are sitting without the dates. There's no question, and I'm not trying to take away from that at all, but there are also boys that are suffering. People, girls, boys that are suffering without Shaduchim are in a tremendous amount of anguish. And I guess if this wasn't live and we were having this discussion privately, I'd probably shed a few more tears because the pain is so real when you, you, you see these, these simple members of Kaiso 
who just want to move on with their lives and they're stuck in pause and hold pattern. They can't go anywhere, especially the girls. They're not getting the dates. The numbers are working against them. There are so many things out there that are causing this issue that they're, it's really, really painful. And for me to sit here and say, oh, I have the answer for you. I, I, I think that that's cheapening everybody's feelings. And, and I don't have the answer. I don't have the, I, we'll, we'll try, we'll try to address a couple of issues. But to say that we have the answer over here, we certainly don't. Um, before we come to the, some of the things you said, you know, it's definitely true, as you said, bas plenty the plenty. Hashem is the one in charge of this. And, you know, we can sit and talk about Bitochen and Amunah, but there isn't any Yid, any Jew in Kal Yisrael, that doesn't have things that they need a Kodesh Baruch Hu, they need Bitochen, they need Amunah for. Everybody has things. And sometimes Shaduchim is the first time that we're forced to grow up, right? We're little kids. We have everything we want. We go to school. We have toys. We have life. Uh, girls, they're, they're high school, seminary. They come back. Now everything is great. And they're expecting just like everything has been, we'll just move on. Then all of a sudden, boom, they're stuck. And maybe for some girls, it's the first time they're facing that there's a Bari Oilam they have to actually rely on. And when it comes to things like Hishtadlis and Shaduchim, you get this question all the time. How much, how much am I obligated to do? And one of my Rebbeim once told me from the Briskarov that when it comes to Shaduchim, we allow, we allow, not we're chayiv, we allow a little bit because, because we're nervous, but not because we're obligated, but rather because we're nervous. Because Baruch is taking care of Shaduchim. It's not in our hands. Having said that, it's definitely difficult to put it into our hearts. It's definitely a difficult thing to, to really absorb and live with, but it's something that we can do by focusing on the emunah, on the bitachim. On the ruchni side, there's other things that we can do, obviously, davening, but we're not meant to go crazy. That's, that's not part of our hishtadlis. We're meant to be normal, healthy people along the way. There are things that we can do like chesed, davening for somebody else, davening for somebody else's shidduch, trying to help somebody else get a shidduch, trying, realizing that helping somebody else get a shidduch is certainly not going to affect mine. It's only going to affect me positively because whoever davens for somebody else, or somebody helps somebody else, they're going to get answered. So obviously if we want to try and rack up as many schuyas as we can, whether it's chesed, whether it's helping in shidduchim or other areas, we have the time now to focus on it, do it. As you yourself said, Ruben, you know, focusing on the things that right now Hashem is giving you this time. He didn't get you married right away. That means there's something he wants you to accomplish right now with this time. And everybody has this in their lives. There are people out there, men or women, who don't get married right away. And they use their time well, whether it was doing chesed, learning Torah, steiging away, becoming bigger, and yeah, they talk became very big because they use that time very well as a matana, not as walking around feeling victimized. I'm a nebuch, I'm a nebuch, I'm a... You're not a nebuch. You're a great person. You have tremendous amount. You have talents. You have a great Yiddish heart. You're, you're, you're a good person. You're going to be a great wife, a great mommy, a great husband. And when the time comes, till then, 
use the time wisely to continue preparing to get to that point, whether it's, whether it's davening, learning, education, whatever it is, don't just sit there focusing on, is the phone ringing yet? Did the phone ring yet? If you're looking at the phone, waiting for it to ring, it doesn't ring. You got to be able to continue moving on, doing the things that are going to make you happy along the way and growing as a yid, using the time Hashem gave you very, very wisely. Having said that, I agree with you that, you know, th this concept of expanding, expanding where they're looking at, but I'd like to express it a bit differently. I'm not so sure they actually know what they're looking for. There are obviously not all girls. There are many girls that simply don't know what they're looking for. There are many boys that have no idea what they're looking for. They, they go out on dates and they just see, is this going to go? Did I fall in love today? And they're missing a very central nakuda, which I thought would have come up already hour, an hour ago. And that is why you're getting married. What is the point of getting married? The point of getting married is to establish a home, to build a relationship with a spouse, to raise great children. To that degree, when you date, you look for somebody that fills the, the, the requirements of somebody I can have a partnership with, and you begin to work on your marriage. We don't have wonderful marriages of 10, 20, 30 years on the first date. We don't have wonderful marriages of 10, 20, 30 years on the day of the wedding or even the first anniversary. We have wonderful marriages of 10, 20, 30 years after 10, 20, 30 years of working on the marriages. But we need to realize that what we're looking for in a spouse is somebody that's going to be a partner for the, the, the long journey ahead. And I need to be very realistic about what those qualities and traits are, positives and negatives, that I, that I need to have or need not to have so that we can move forward. But if you don't know what the goal is, you know, I, I once asked a group of boys, if I gave you unlimited funding to buy a car, but here's the deal. All you get is the car. After that, the funding's done. So I'm giving you one shot. Credit card, no limit. Mamish, no limit. Buy any car you want. What car would you buy? So right away, most Bachram, they come up, I don't know, a Lamborghini, a Porsche, a Ferrari. They give me all these wonderful sports cars. So, okay, y'all write it down. Everybody wrote down their cars. Okay, now stop. How much is your insurance? How much is your gas? What's going to happen when a part breaks on such an exotic car? And why are you buying that car? Oh, because it can drive 220 miles an hour. Great. You ever try doing 220 in Flatbush? You can't... You, I mean, I'm sure the people who tried, but you can't do, go 220 down one block. It doesn't work. That car is useless. And even if you manage to get out to a country road, you're not getting 220. So you're buying a car that you can never use, but it's going to take all of your time, all of your money, all of, it's, it's going to be a pain for the rest of your life. So they stop and say, okay, so which car should I buy? What are you asking me? Why don't you stop and figure out what you need the car for? what it's going to cost you along the way, how this is going to work. And then you can figure out what's realistically buying because we're only paying for the car. The same thing goes for the girls. Same idea. What is it you're looking for and why? What is your goal over here? 
And once your goal is you want to be a wife, your goal is you want to be a mother, where are you headed? And once you have that goal, you're able to start looking for somebody that fits into basically that and then build a relationship with them. But if, if we think that we're just going to find the one that doesn't exist, you know, I, I was really um, not surprised, but it, it, to me, it was very interesting to note 200 years ago, everybody seemed to find somebody relatively within their village, their city, their summer, you know, today, people who live in various countries somehow always manage to find the one, it's always the one who happens to live in the same country, the same state, the same, so, right? Everybody, isn't it amazing how Hashem worked all that out? It couldn't be that you should have married someone from far away. It could be. It could be. We chose this one. And then we make that relationship. We build that relationship. How? By the things we spoke about. Recognizing the needs. Giving them. Creating a home. Appreciating. We function with all of those things at one time. Then we create that relationship. So we could really marry a lot of people. Potentially. But and, and I'm not going into the whole Zivigrishan Zivigshani, not right now. That's a totally different different topic. But realistically, yeah, person could marry this one, could marry that one. If they're really, you know, ready and willing to do the work, as long as the basics are there, we're good to go. Now, definitely appropriate to put a plug for Rabbi Epstein's uh, dating uh, curriculum. I mean, yeah. how could you I, read my mind through the I, screen? That's that's why you asked me to do this job, right? I mean, obviously, uh, I, I, not that I've ever taken it, but the marriage pro, I'm working my way through, and I know that he says excellent stuff. So if you're watching this and you haven't signed up for the curriculum yet, thank you very much. Definitely get more. very good. Thank you. If they like a pro at marriagepro.co. Anyone who wants to sign up, they get 25 percent off by 25 off. That's the coupon thing. Okay, we have we have uh, 15 minutes left, so I wanna though if we can, let's try to do three questions, meaning five minutes each. Let's oh, try really? to. Yeah, if we could. Let's, we've gone through, I think, three for like the first hour and 15 minutes. Let's see if we can get through three rapid-fire questions if we can. Are we, Calhoun, you down for that? Let's try I'm to down. get through things. Go ahead. Okay. Let's, okay. let's try to... Yeah, let's see if we can do Question that. Question one. We, we have like 100 questions, so we're, we're basically down to like 97. So at okay. least let's try to chip away at this just a little bit more. Question one, fascinating question. Titled, Wife versus Hashem. In my marriage, I'm going to read it, I'm often faced with a decision between my wife and Hashem. I mean... I have a choice to learn more, dive in more, whatever it may be, or spend time with my wife or family. How do I make that strike that balance? And maybe you'll decide if the question is phrased right in the first place. Go ahead. <laughs> Rabbi Kavan. Okay. Rabbi Kavan, go ahead. Two minutes. I, I think it's I, I think if the goal is to do Ratzon Hashem, then just figure out what the Ratzon is. If the Ratzon Hashem is like it says to be Mahabad your wife and to help her and to take care of her and to give her what she needs that you're hired to do in the Ksuba, that's absolutely no different than learning or doing anything else. And to give you a real simple mushal, if you have two people sitting in a base medrash, it's a big base medrash, but there's only two people sitting there, and they're learning, and Tamatari Kinegit Kulam, everybody knows that. Everybody knows the schar of learning is greater than anything else in the world. And we're sitting two people in a base medrash. And one of those people in the base medrash drops to the floor and has a heart attack. And the other person knows CPR. And he says, oh, I could help him. I could save his life. But Tom and Terry, can I get cool? I think I'll just sit right over here and do this now. <laughs> the Torah doesn't let you do that. 
The Torah is mechay of you to go there. Well, one second. The schar for saving the life is less than learning. True. But the same Torah that told you to learn also told you that that's more important. The same Torah tells us that giving to the wife what she needs, giving to our children what they need, that's Ratzon Habayre. So when someone comes and says, you know, the spirituality side, but what, 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 you're missing the boat. You miss it. Giving to your wife, that's Ruchnius. Without that Ruchnius, we don't have anything. That is that is the Kesher. That is that, by the way, that's the meaningful Kesher. minute of the night. That's the that's the play of the game, you know, right there. Giving to your spouse is Ruchnius. Mic right. drop. Don't drop this mic, it's expensive, but drop right. your mic. Right. Yeah, exactly. I want to throw I want to throw in one thing here, which I think is very important, okay. which I find with some people. That marriage ultimately, I always say, you know, we use Flatbush as an example because people who grew up in Flatbush, this is the center of the world. So it should be the, you know, and it's also because it's easy because it's alphabetical. So we don't have to memorize like presidents or trees or all these other stuff that these out of town communities name their streets after. Yeah, like a Scranton, like, remember who lived after, who became the president after Taft? Nobody knows. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Alphabetical. That's the way to go. So um, if I was going for, for a walk from Avenue M to Avenue N with somebody, and we start walking and I just bolt down the street and they turn to me, they go, what are you doing? And I go, well, we said we're going from Avenue M to Avenue N. They go, yeah, but you're not with me. I'm like, yeah, but I'm going in the right direction. Going in the right direction, believing your, your partner, your walking partner behind is oftentimes a step away from your marriage. And I, I sometimes find this with people that they have a lot of intentions, but then as they get married, they're sort of aligned with the other person I'm going to use the word spiritually, which I find very, very funny. Some people, they're very spiritual, but they're not from. So it's like, they're spiritual, but they're not from. Like, I don't know how that all works. But sometimes spiritually, meaning in a ruchniyastic sense, you're, you're going in the right direction and you're growing, but you're leaving your spouse behind. And if you want your ruchniyas to have real lasting impact, either with you or with your children, with your family, there has to be an alignment. And sometimes, again, obviously with guidance from a rav, you need to go a drop slower and then, and then like, Make sure your your marriage is on the same page and you're going in the same direction. Even if it's a drop slower, you're both going towards that. Thirty anyway. seconds, but you're you're doing it together, and that's the key. If you're not doing it together, your ruchnius is going to be much harder for you, and it may not have a very long lasting impact. Then, if if you're giving to her what she needs, she'll that's be with part you. Of your ruchnius, and she will then enable you to go all the way. But there if you're you not go. giving to her what she needs on the olive phase, you're stuck. You're not going yeah. anywhere. Very good. Okay, Doe, hit us up with the next one. Um, let's go for a big one with five minutes. Um, learner versus earner. Can we get a five-minute, meaningful minute on learner versus earner? How should I decide who to marry? Okay, right, Calvin, you take two and a half minutes. I'll take the rest. I don't think there is such a thing as as earner-learner. I think there's doing ruts on a bayre. And a a girl has to know herself that if my husband, if I want that my husband should do something, go to medical school, become an accountant, um, become a Rav, sit and learn in Kailu, become a Rebbe, or she could want something like that, but she is not the one who's going to decide what his career path is. She's there along with him to whatever that's going to be. So, um, she wants someone who's a Bentaira. She wants someone who's from, who's solid, who's good. Great. Just because someone's learning today and says he's planning on doing that forever doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
just because someone was working today and says he's planning on working forever doesn't mean that's going to happen. He might end up sitting and learning a code. Who knows what's going to happen over here? But the ikra is that she is with him in whatever it is that he chooses, whichever path he chooses to go down. The, but part of that is that she has to be a little bit realistic in knowing that if I'm somebody who needs a certain type of lifestyle, and generally speaking, somebody who's learning in Kyle for X amount of years is not going to be able to provide me with that lifestyle. So I'm going to be resenting it. And that's not something that I necessarily want to do. On the other hand, if I feel that, no, I'm really, I'm really up for that. And, and I really do appreciate this and I do want it, then that's something she can go for. But they have to be you know, a little bit realistic as to what's going on. And it's difficult for a girl to do that because she's never experienced the base medrash and she's never experienced a husband who is learning. So maybe she's seen her father, her brothers, her family, her somebody, whatever. She's heard a lot about it in seminary, but she hasn't exactly experienced what it means to go through another season without being able to necessarily buy the clothing that she wants or needs or having all the conveniences that she's normally able to have or live in the place that she would like to live. So she has to have that straight. But ultimately, learner, earner, what really matters is, is she going to be there to go along with whatever it is her husband needs? I want to point out, just on your point there, it doesn't necessarily earn the money they think they're going to earn. Um, <laughs> that comfort level that there, um, the majority of the population isn't there probably. So yeah. that's, there may be more that goes into that. Right. hundred percent, hundred percent true. We, we can make all the chashbainas we want. At the end of the day, it's chashbarku. Go ahead, Ruben. Right. Okay. I, I don't have much to add. I I think that <laughs> it's funny because I wrote down a few things and, and you covered them. I think that, um, at the end of the day, there just has to be a reaffirmation that any guy who's learning, it's he's only learning because his wife chose to allow him to forego his emphasis on the ksuba part where he has a chiv to work and support her right. in order to allow him to sit and live a more simple lifestyle. And therefore, he's, he's setting out to become one of the princes of Klai Israel. The guys who sit and learn all day, these are the princes of Klai Israel. We all have to have to look up to every guy who's sitting in base Medrash, one, two, three, four star a day. These guys are the greatest, they're the greatest people in the world. For a woman to support that is, is amazing. It's unbelievable. It went, but it has to be that it's going on her support of this lifestyle and of this derech and of their thing. And if that's not the thing, then, then she's going to resent it. It has to come with that balance of understanding that he has a chiv to support her and he'd like to learn. And I always, I, I like to tell girls that having a guy who's learning is really, really good. Having a guy who likes learning, who's serious about learning, who Tyra is actually speaking to him is, is also really good. And, and sometimes maybe even more important. Uh, there, okay, we've got to wrap this up. We yeah, are living up with Hashem, that, that they're living with a certain reality of that. And some guys who are learning in Kyle, you know, it, it phases out at a certain point. Okay. Next question. Here we go. Hashkafic or religious differences in marriage? How do a couple deal uh, build a strong bond and maintain a loving marriage when there are hashkafic or religious differences? Go for it, Rabbi Califan. I don't believe I can do that question justice in two and a half minutes. Fair enough. (laughs) Ruben, Ruben, take it away first. I'll add. (laughs) Um, Okay. So hashkafic differences. How is that supposed to play itself out? So, do 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 do. Okay, one second. I just want to see something. Okay, so first of all, hashkafic differences, we have to understand that there's a very important yusayid when it comes to marriage, and that's called, I like to call it flexibility of mind. Being flexible, right? You're living now with another person. They have different ideas. They have different concepts. They, they, they smell different. They look different. Everything about them is different, and they experience life different, and therefore, if you're flexible in your brain, 
you will probably have a good strong marriage or you have a very good chance at being in a strong marriage. When it comes to people who are very rigid, you can't talk to them, it's much more complicated. But when it comes to hashkafa, hashkafa items, hashkafa by definition is a principle and a principle by definition is a value and a value by definition is not very flexible. And therefore, when you're looking for somebody, you want to make sure that your hashkafas are sort of aligned with each other. When they're aligned from the get-go and then they drift apart, it's, a, it's, it's almost always an issue that you left your spouse behind. You left them behind because you, you, you jumped onto some Rebbe or she has some Rebbitson or Mora Kala teacher, whatever it is, who like sort of set her life, you know, going in the fast lane and she left her spouse behind. And this goes right back to what we were saying before. Any journey that you're going on with your spouse is going to be a long-term journey. If your spouse is on board with that, they'll be with you during the thick and the thin of everything. Rabbi Califan has one of the greatest, you know, things I love saying over. When Hashem came to Yaakov, Yaakov was by Lavan. And Yaakov had a very, very hard life there. Hashem comes and he says, it's time for you to leave. So Yaakov calls his wives into the field. And why in the field? Because Rashi says the field is a private location. And he says to them, I have something very important to talk over with you. And the Torah spends 10 psukim, 10 psukim, where he doesn't talk about Hashem at all. He says, you know, it was so hard here. And let me tell you about your father. And Nakudim Barudim. he goes through all the different types of sheet that your father swindled me. And the women say, yeah, yeah, Taka, this was very bad. You know, if that's the case, we should leave. By the way, Hashem also told us to leave. What do you mean? Why didn't he come to them and say, listen, God told us to go. It's time to go. Start packing. Because he knew that if you're going on a journey, even if you know this is the Ratzon Hashem, you're going to leave your spouses behind. When Lovin shows up, Rachel is there. She starts standing up to her father. They're willing to stand up to Esav. They're willing to stand through all these challenges because they know I'm with my husband. It was a tactical move by Yaakov to try to make sure that his marriage is solidified, even though he thinks he knows the Ratzon Hashem. Whenever they're from the gecko is an alignment with your values. If your marriage is strong, those values will grow along with it. If there's later on, you grow separate. I, couples tell me all the time, we grew separate over the year. You didn't grow. You don't wake up one morning and, you know, you were on this side of the room. They were on the other side of the room. You allow that to happen because you didn't solidify it. The a relationship takes constant work every single day. You have to put into your marriage. If you do that, then everything will be aligned. If you don't do that, you will wake up with different thought processes, with different values, with different hashkafas, with different concepts of what makes you happy. And then you say, I don't know what happened. What happened was that you weren't focused every single day. If you put in every single day, then you'll see things grow and solidify. Totally, uh-huh. 100%. 100% I agree with you. I would, I would maybe just add in a little bit. Um, and again, it's the same word, needs. By recognizing what the other person needs in the marriage, then the marriage becomes the vehicle to be able to move together in. But if we're not giving those needs along the way, and we're just moving along our terms and what we think is our Yiddishkeit, and we're just doing whatever it is that we want, we don't really have the marriage. So it's not like we're growing differently than our spouses. There's no marriage. It didn't start. Very nice. You became a very, very holy person. She became a very holy person. Very nice. But there's no Kesher. And that Kesher is the most important thing that can exist. It affects the husband, the wife, his Ruchnius, and besides his Ruchnius, the children. It will 100% affect the children. When there's a solid relationship between the two of them, the children will turn out better. The home will be a warmer home. That's part of the Ruchnius as well. So, so many people are out there learning, doing Chesed, doing all kinds of things, and forgetting about their wives. That's affecting the children. They're forgetting about their marriage. It's a mitzvah. 
Nobody else can give to your spouse what the spouse can give. It's our obligation. Nobody else can give a mother or father to the children except the children's mother or father. And that's our obligation before learning Kaiso. Everything else comes after that. Whatever right. our position is, that's the first thing. So we have like 60 seconds here. So I want to wrap up um, with a few things. Well, first of all, I think that I, I always say this, that if a person will get up in the morning and simply put on, you know, those vests that like they wear in certain stores. I'm not going to mention any stores because we're not being sponsored by any specific store. If they want to sponsor this, then we'll, we'll say like, you know, like they do in a certain store. But, um, you know, in certain stores, they have like those vests that say like, uh, uh, you know, yeah, except B&H because Dove works in B&H. Dove is the star um, of B&H. And I hear that he's getting a promotion very shortly, um, you know, to become the moderator of the B&H facil- um, facilitating all these different conversations. But, um, you know, like they put on those things in, in like stores and they say, how can we help you? How can I help you? If you got up every morning as a husband or as a wife and put on that little jacket and said, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Just focusing on your spouse's needs, even if you don't know the answer, just asking the question will make you a better spouse. Just focusing on the idea that there is a question here will make you a better spouse. And, and if we take that out of, out of this, then what, what I'm taking out of this whole thing, and Baruch Hashem, I've been zeichet to, to take this out for the last umpteen years, is that when you build a home, everything else can be built on top of it. When you have a foundation, everything else can be built on top of it. All your goals and your dreams and your greatness and all of that, it could be built on top of it. Unfortunately, sometimes I sit and, and, and counsel people where their home is in shambles and they're wondering why they can't build that next thing. Why am I struggling so much in business? I'm always getting phone calls from my wife. She's driving me crazy. She's not supportive. She's fighting me on everything. Why are my kids not? Why is my business not? Why is the answer is because you don't have a solid foundation. When the foundation is there, then everything else can be built on top of that. And thank you. Thank you to everybody who tuned in from all over the world. Thank you, Rabbi Califan, for giving of your precious time. Thank you, Dove Elephant. Thank you. For your, I, you are hired. Dove, you are hired as the sidekick here in Mitzvah Shem. Um, we're going to run this um, periodically with everyone's questions. I think we're up to like 96 questions or so. Um, anyone who would like to reach out, please reach out to email at marriagepro.co. And I'm very, very, very excited and humbled to announce that on Sunday night, this upcoming Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are going to be hosting Rabbi Meisher Mayor Weiss Robin Staten Island here on this show. Um, it's going to be for an hour and a half and have a lot of questions for him about his life, being a Talmud of Ramesha for over a decade, very close to Ramesha. Um, very, very excited for that as well. Thank you for everybody for tuning in. Thank you, Rabbi Califan. Thank you, Dove. Thank you, Torah, anytime for all that you continue. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.